pick something out. But, uh, this morning I want to invite you into the scripture, and it comes from Matthew beginning in chapter 5. And it's Jesus talking, and he says, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how will it become salty again? It's good for nothing except to be thrown away and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on top of a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Instead, they put it on a lampstand and it shines on all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before people so they can see the good things you do and praise your Father who is in heaven. Now, I love this particular passage because it's so Jesus. It's so short and to the point, and it packs such a big punch. And especially when we come to something like light. Light is an amazing metaphor. But my concern this morning is that the metaphor of light is a very big metaphor. I mean, it calls us to shine light into the world and to be a light in the world. And maybe the invitation there is to go big in some big way in our neighborhood so that everybody knows who Jesus is and everybody knows that we follow Jesus. But I think starting big like that can be challenging or daunting or maybe make us feel like we're not exactly sure. Um, So I've asked someone else to come in to read the same scripture from a different version. Um, So will you all please welcome Chasey down as she's reading the scripture this morning. And the version I read from is the Common English Bible, so we typically use on a Sunday. But we're going to look at it from the message, and I think it was important for us to hear it from a different voice. Because what I want to see is not this big picture of light that calls us to do these big things in our community to make a big splash. What I'd like to do is instead to invite us to the smaller metaphor here, to the more subtle one. And I wanted us to hear it from a different voice so that it would help to frame it in the right way. Because Jesus also talks about salt. Salt being one of the smallest 
things that we know in the world. One of the most common seasonings that we see. It's been a part of history in every age and every time. Uh, if we know anything about chemistry, we probably know this one, right? right? What's, what's Salt's uh, chemistry title? NACL. I don't know any other ones, but like I know that one. Right? Right, salt is on every single table. It's on our table. It's on the table of every restaurant. You get salt and pepper, right? I mean, it's common. It's understood. We know what it does. You know what salt tastes like in your mind. You can probably taste it as we're talking about it. You know what happens if you add too much of it, right? We did this thing in high school where we'd go to restaurants with our friends and we'd unscrew the top just enough. It's like when our friend grabbed it, they would dump it on their thing, right? And so we know what happens with too much salt. So we know that salt is something that you use sparingly. And even as adults, we know that salt can, and too much, have bad impacts on our body and our health. I love the metaphor of salt because it's so small and we seem to use an insignificant amount of it. And yet Jesus tells us this is the thing that can help us live faithfully in our suburban communities right here. For such a small thing, I think it's had such a big history in our lives and Jesus uses it to teach us. And so beginning in verse 13, he says, let me tell you, And I like how he begins with, let me tell you why you're here. Because if you're like me, there's times in your life where you're wondering, what is my purpose? Like, what is the plan for my life? What is the thing that I'm supposed to do to live my life with purpose? And here Jesus shows up and says, well, let me tell you your purpose. I'm like, oh, good, thank you. Because I wasn't always sure. So the next one, Jesus says, you're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. Eugene Peterson wrote this translation, and he passed away maybe a little bit less than a year ago. And I love the language that he uses and the words that Chasey read because it takes me deeper into this this image. He tells us that we're supposed to be the little bit of salt that people put on their food so it adds and brings out the flavors. In the same way that salt is used to preserve meat, Jesus tells us that we have some kind of role to help preserve the work that God is doing in this world. And so perhaps we thought that salt was uh, insignificant or meaningless, and then we find out from Jesus that it actually has a lot of significance. So in the next slide, uh, it tells us that basically here's our purpose, so that we will do good things that they can see, that they will praise our Father. So it's a pretty simple explanation. This is your purpose in life. I'll take 30 minutes to say it. Jesus will say it in like two sentences. But the purpose of our life is that we, as recipients of God's grace, would go and have a desire to do good things for others, to serve others around us. And as we serve others, then they would see the goodness of God at work within us, and they would praise God. God is great. God's grace is in us. We do good things for others. Others see that, and they respond, and they have their heart filled with grace, and then they go to do good things for others, and so on, and so on. And I think that is so simple in its beauty. But that can be so challenging in our day-to-day life. 
And I think it can be especially challenging here in the suburbs where there's a lot of different things that are going on at any given time in our lives. So what I want to do is talk this morning about a concept that was one of Jesus' most favorite concepts that he talked about. And it's this idea of hospitality. Now, I kind of chuckle when I, when I use this word hospitality, because I think this word reigns different in this part of the world, in this part of the state, right? Like, we see the word hospitality. I just did like a two-finger Disney point, because, right? Because we understand that hospitality and the hospitality industry is a big part of our business here in Florida. My hunch is, if I ask for just a show of hands, maybe just, how many people work in some way in the hospitality industry or are connected with it? Just by a show of hands. Yeah, so we have got a much broader, much different definition of hospitality than Jesus shared, but I think it also has some great things in common. And I want to talk about what that means for us who live here in this part of the world. So if we look at the idea of hospitality and we think about what that means, we know that Jesus said, you should love your neighbor as yourself. Hopefully you've heard that before at some point, you should love your neighbor as you love yourself. But we might be surprised to find out that that is actually from the Old Testament, and it shows up there first uh, in places like Leviticus 19. When the scripture says, you must love your neighbor as yourself, I am the Lord. I love that little ending there because it's like, you should love the neighbor as yourself. And you're like, oh, that's good advice. Like, that might be a good quote. And it's a reminder, I am the Lord. Oh, that's right, God said it. So this is important. We need to pay attention. So it shows up there in the Old Testament. And of course, then Jesus brings it back in Matthew 22. When he was asked the question, and they said, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment of the law? He replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You must love your neighbor as you love yourself. And the law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. What Jesus is saying is all the law, all that entails the life of faith as a follower of God, a follower of Jesus, everything about who we are hangs on these two things. Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as you love yourself. If we get nothing else and we live into those two things the rest of our life, we are finding ways to faithfully follow God. And so in the Old Testament, there might be some question of, well, then who is my neighbor? And in that same passage in Leviticus, there's some conversations about who the neighbor is. Uh, for example, it says in verse 13, you must not oppress your neighbors or rob them. Do not withhold a higher, higher laborer's pay overnight. So here's the good wisdom of like, don't rob your physical neighbors, like the people who are next to you. I mean, we could also read this as like a friend or, or someone in the neighborhood provided a service to you. Don't withhold your PayPal or your Venmo transaction to them, right? Because this is how they make their livelihood. The next one, don't go around slandering your people. I mean, none of us have ever experienced a Facebook group or a neighborhood HOA group where someone has said something negative about someone else in the neighborhood. And like even the largest neighborhoods here in Horizon West, like we can see who these people are. 
So it's telling us, like, like, don't go around slandering your actual neighbors. Uh, two more that come from Leviticus 19 about neighbors. You must not take revenge or hold a grudge against any of your people. And then in verse 33, when an immigrant lives in your land with you, you must not cheat them. Any immigrant who lives with you must be treated as if they were one of your citizens. And so what I, what I hope that you're seeing as we read this is that a neighbor is not a person who is far away, who I might go and help at some point in time when I maybe go serve a meal. A neighbor in terms of the Old Testament and that Jesus brings up are the actual neighbors that live next door to us. One of the things about uh, this area is, and I've tried this before, is the houses and the lot lines are drawn so close that your neighbor is literally right outside your window, right? I stood between my house and my neighbor's house, and I wanted to see if I could actually, like, touch from their wall. Mine. I was only, like, missing this much. So, yeah, so our neighbors and the ones Jesus wants to think about are the people who are actually living next door to us. And so when we hear this call to love your neighbor, it's those people, the ones right around us that we're talking about. These are the ways that we can have the most impact as followers of Jesus. And when Jesus talks about neighbors, we might first think about the neighbors that we like. There's neighbors around me that I like and tend to like me, maybe more so than others. And while we can't dive into this deep this morning, when Jesus says neighbors, he means our friends. He means strangers that we don't know but are close to us. And he means enemies. Friends, strangers, enemies, all of these around us. Now, I know none of us have enemies that live around us, but just perchance if you do have someone who just doesn't like you or, or maybe something that you do in your house or your apartment or your townhome. When Jesus invites us to love our neighbors as ourselves, he wants us to think about friends, strangers, and enemies. So I want you to hold on to that thought this morning. And as we think about this idea of hospitality, uh, hospitality is something that we also practice here on Sunday morning. So when you come in, we call these things that we do hospitality. Uh, there was someone at the front door to greet you and to welcome you and answer questions if you had them. Uh, we had people tasked with hospitality for checking in kids. We have uh, an orange table down here with coffee and some snacks. And if you need a refill, like you're free to come and get that. And all these things we call hospitality. This idea of making each other feel welcome and comfortable and a part of this place, especially if we're new. And so I know from our hospitality people who are volunteers like you, that it's important to them that when you come and you get a cup of coffee or you're met at the front door, that they will try to make that a warm welcome for you. If you get a cup of coffee, I know that there's a few of our volunteers who like to try to learn your name. And so at some point, they may have said your name with the intention of doing it right, but said the wrong name. I'm guilty of that. And while that happens from time to time, what I love about that is here is a community of people who are donating their time, and they want to learn people's names because they realize that our names are who we are, and they want to make sure that we know that they are important to us, and that you're important to them. And so for any of the times that something goes wrong with the hospitality here or in the front or I say the wrong name or something like that, 
To me, these are clear signs that God is working within us and we're trying to create the kind of community where we love our neighbors who are with us this morning in worship as ourselves. And so on a microcosm, we do those things in worship in this study because we're practicing on a Sunday morning the hospitality that we want to model when we go out into the world. So we hope to do in here the kind of things that we would do when we go back into our neighborhoods of, of trying to learn the names of our neighbors, trying to get to know the things that they like or that they don't like, trying to make them feel warm and welcome when the for sale sign comes down and someone moves in next to you, or a new tenant moves in across the hall. So we practice those kinds of things here as a way of modeling what Jesus invites us to do out in the world. And as I see that, what I see is the hospitality that Jesus talks about in verse 6. When it says, keep open house, be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. Now, now like I, I love that verse. But I kind of wonder, does that verse make anyone nervous this morning? Because essentially what it's inviting you to do is to open up your house to your neighbors, friends, strangers, and enemies, and to, for you to keep open house. Now, the reason I thought that might make some of us nervous is because I'm sure everyone else is fine, but like our house is not always uh, show-ready. Our presentableness is not always on full display. Uh, it's because life is busy and crazy at every stage of life, right? And so when Jesus is like, yeah, keep open house, we're like, I don't know, because like there's still crumbs on the table from breakfast. And like if I'm being honest, like, maybe I didn't sleep before the night before after dinner. Um, and there's things out, and there's maybe like toys out or shoes out or clothes out. And it's not that bad, but maybe this isn't the way that I would like people to come into my house. And so I think this identifies one of the struggles that you and I face as people who live in a suburban community. Because for all the good that the suburbs offer, one of the things that they teach us is that we must always present a perfect life, a perfect family, a perfect setup, a perfect home. And we must keep all things that way if we're ever going to keep open house and invite others in. And Pinterest has not helped us on this front. Am I right? I mean, because Pinterest has presented to us, you can do all these things because someone else pinned this. And so to keep open house, we think we have to have the perfect tray and the perfect platters, and we have to buy expensive things to display them on. It tells us that our home needs to look like this or have uh, this little mudroom or this little sign out front that says, like, um, like, welcome, we're glad you're here. It gives us this impression that in order to follow Jesus and to be hospitable, that we have to have all these things in order before we can ever keep open house and be generous with our lives. And so one of two things happens. Either we don't, because our house is never going to look like that, or we kill ourselves trying to make everything so perfect so that people come over and like, wow, look at this. I could never do this in my house. And so I think the struggle is we're told that one of these two things needs to happen. Either keep it closed or make it the most amazing show that people have ever seen. 
And of course, there's this whole genre of things called Pinterest fails, and uh, where we've tried to recreate the thing, and it comes out nothing like the thing that we saw, or the recipe that we saw, or the craft that we saw. Right? I think we did a Grover one time where we tried to make a thing that we saw on Pinterest, uh, and the women kind of remarked that uh, there's a, there a spectrum of things that came out like it, and things that came out like very much not like it. Right? But maybe there's a feeling like, you know, it's just too much work to have people in my space. And I believe the problem is that we're trying to start too big. Just like in our scripture, we're trying to start with the biggest concept first and then make the biggest thing work and then make the biggest impact to show that we can do all those things as a follower of Jesus. And I think a better place to start is to start small. To think about salt. And to think about the impact of the tiniest little thing. Because the truth is, I don't think people really want to know that you can decorate or host like Martha Stewart. I truly believe that most people want to know that your life is as hectic and crazy and messed up and messy and unswept as theirs. Am I right? It's nice and it's refreshing to know that someone else doesn't have it together because, I don't know, a lot of days I felt like I was the only one who didn't have it together. And there's nothing wrong with making things nice and doing a show and doing a presentation. But we need to ask ourselves, why are we doing this? Is it natural? Is it easy? Is it a gift that we have? Or is it something where we're spending so much time into the presentation that we forget about the person on the other end? Or by the time the person comes over, we're just too worn out. Or we're never going to open our door because we can't show people into this world this life. So I think one of the most countercultural things that we can do as Christians living in the suburbs is to simply give a realistic picture into our everyday lives. As a way of saying following Jesus does not mean we have to have it all together or present to others that it looks like we have it all together. Following Jesus is a messy, cumbersome, start-and-stop kind of ordeal in our own faith. And the more we can show people outside of it that, that following Jesus means there's ups and there's downs, there's good points, there's low moments, we've got it together, we don't have it together. We're laughing, we're crying, but God is with us in all of it. I think the more we can show that, the more people will find the Jesus that they need in their own life too. I came across a quote this week. It says, What is countercultural in the United States, in much of the world, is attempting to stay in relationship with people who don't share our views. So, what Jesus invites us to do this morning is to create open houses for our friends, for the strangers in our neighborhood that we hope will be friends, and especially for our enemies, too. I don't have to lecture you or, or tell you or, or try to convince you that our nation is, is deeply divided over politics, religion, all the stuff that we're not supposed to talk about. And I think one of the most faithful things that we can do as followers of Jesus Christ is to find a way to keep things in common and to keep in relationship with those who do not share our beliefs. It's easy to be with like-minded people. It's easy to keep open house with them, it's harder to do that with those that we disagree with. That's messy. And that's how it's intended to be. 
So this morning, I want us to think about how we can begin small. And how we can welcome people into our lives, even if it means things are a little bit messy. What I'd like to invite us to do is uh, to become salty again as followers of Jesus in the suburban context. Because if you think about it, the purpose of salt is not for itself. The entire purpose of salt is to make something else taste better for someone else. Right? So if we think of ourselves as a little salt shaker, our purpose is to make something else better for someone else. And this is good. Because this takes us out of our self-interest into finding something good to do for someone else that will help them to follow Jesus on their own if they don't already. This, I believe, as I said last week, is the greatest challenge of living in the suburbs, is that for all the good that it does, a lot of the focus becomes about how do I get my life, my time, my resources more to myself. And the underlying thing that we have to do as followers of Jesus is find ways to live lives that help and serve and connect and see others, hospitality, and not just our own life. And, and so to do that, there's this, uh, this misconception that we have to go somewhere else. And this has been one of our struggles as a church. It's like we, if you notice our banner when you come in, it says worship. Like, okay, so check, we're doing that now. We hope you do that during the week. Grow. Check, we've got grow groups and ways that you can grow your faith. Serve. Well, if we've had a hard time finding places to serve, because it doesn't seem like as you look around Horizon West that there's a lot of needs. Right? And so we end up finding ourselves going to downtown Orlando to serve a meal, or going somewhere outside the boundaries to find people who look more needy than we do inside the boundaries. But the truth is, that it's wrong for us to assume that our neighbor does not necessarily need our hand-me-downs, and just because they don't need our hand-me-downs, that they're not needy. We have to remember that need is not just how it physically presents itself, but that there might be someone physically next door to us who has no indication that something is going wrong or a challenge in their life, and they are in a place of need. Maybe they just need companionship. Maybe they need to know that there's someone there who knows their story and cares, or is praying for them, or understands what's going on in their life, that they're not alone. Just because we don't perceive need doesn't mean that it's not there. And so this morning, as we begin to think about that, the truth is that every community has people with needs because people are human, and because sin is real, and because life goes off the rail no matter what your annual salary is. So this morning, as we start small, I'd like to invite you to an exercise. So uh, on your, on your uh, I don't know what they call this, like a little table here, your TV tray, your movie tray, there should be an, or, uh, an index card there under your orange card. If you would take that out in the pen that's next to you, I want you to draw a diagram with me this morning. And I want you to draw a three-by-three three diagram like this, Put you in the middle. You will not be graded on how straight your lines are. It's okay. All right? Permission to be imperfect. So draw that on there. And as we continue in worship today, here's what I would like for you to fill in. Think of your house, your condo, your townhome, your apartment, wherever you live. And begin to fill in the spaces around there 
What are some of the people who live around you? So perhaps it's the neighbor across the street and the neighbor behind you. Or maybe it makes more sense to think about the neighbor above you who walks with heavy feet and the neighbor below you. Maybe you have like a lake in an open backyard. That's fine. Make this map work for you where there's you right there in the middle. You can have a little selfish moment, put you in the middle. It's cool. And then begin to fill in the people that you know around you. And if you don't know someone, place a question mark there. So I want to invite you this week to fill this out today in worship, to take this home, to place it on your fridge, and to begin to pray for those people as you open the fridge, which for some of us might be more often than others, praying for others, right? But begin to pray for them. And if there's a question mark of someone that you don't know, make it your mission to at least learn their name over the next week. That's a great place to begin for hospitality. Knowing someone's name opens up the whole door to get to know them as a person. And if there's someone on there that you would count as an enemy, whether they have wronged you or you have wronged them, I want to invite you to pray about that relationship also. So what we have done is to take uh, the sermon and to give you a chance to live it out. I think what we do on Sunday morning is great as we gather for worship, but what also matters is how we live that out in the rest of the week. Uh, so what I've been offering are these things called counter-liturgies for hospitality. So the idea there is we're countering the standard liturgy, the standard way of doing things in the suburbs. So a counter-liturgy is listed here, and those may not make a lot of sense, but if you go to today at citruschurch.org, we kind of spelled that out. And it'll give you some ideas about how you can begin to live openly and to open your house and your life and your doors, as uncomfortable as that is, to those people living around you. Because Jesus said our purpose is to be salt in the world. And our purpose is to do good things for others. And I believe that doesn't have to mean that we leave our community and go somewhere else. It is important and vital to serve overseas, to do mission work in other countries, to serve our country. It is vital that we go to other places. But I firmly believe that our greatest opportunity to share the love of Jesus as Christians is right next door. Just sharing the love with everyday people just like ourselves. So, hospitality works best in small ways. And as kind of a final reminder of that, Jesus told us that for where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there with them. You don't have to pair the wine and the cheese right for Jesus to show up. You simply have to create an open hospital system, inviting someone for coffee, inviting them over for a talk, finding a way, standing outside of your garage or over the back fence of just getting to know the people around you and increasing those relationships and praying for them and serving them. And my hunch is that if they're followers of Jesus, they're trying to do the same thing with you too. And where two or three are gathered in that way, I want to remind you that God is present in that with you. So this morning I want to encourage us to keep open house, to be generous with our lives by opening up to others. You'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. Amen.